0: Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with a student of randomness, Dr. Lucy Jones. We thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now, let's get to it. Today, we're picking up where we left off from our last episode about randomness of earthquakes, where we spoke about what traps we fall into to find patterns that may not exist. But how did we get here? That's the question of today that will lead us to our third and final part, where we'll discuss how this relates to our current state as we enter the third year of the COVID-19 pandemic and how randomness affects the way we're able to get through it. So as we look at the history of randomness, if I can call it that, it's a multi-thousand-year relationship humans of all cultures have had with what will happen and why. That's what it's all about. It's what will happen next. Let's go back in time, Lucy, to the very early humans. Tell us how our relationship with randomness began.
1: We evolved into human beings by using our growing brains to stay safe long enough to have children. We were competing against bigger and stronger animals, and we used our brains to figure out where it was safe from predators, where we could find food, lots and lots of different types of theorizing. Now we all know that we succeeded in our evolution by being smarter. We need to remember that being smarter means making patterns. So we are wired to enjoy theorizing, And we're really very good at it. We do it all the time. We see something out of the corner of our eyes and fill in the gaps and guess what it means. And we're usually right. And we feel good about ourselves when our theories are right. And the flip side of that is we tend to really hate being wrong. Lots of examples, for instance, eyewitnesses will see some crime, be sure they know who it is. DNA evidence that proves that it's not the person they said it was will not get some people to give it up. They will insist in spite of all of the evidence outside. It's a representation that we like being right, we hate being wrong, and it's fundamental to our lives, just like all of our other
0: senses. So bottom line, we want patterns to exist. We are wired for it. So how does that manifest in modern humans of today? So we're talking the early human. You just (laughs) talked about how we, we were evolving through our basic evolution. But what about today? Here we are in 2022.
1: Well, we continue to ask why. Every culture does it, has done it. As civilizations grew beyond survival on the savanna to the development of philosophy and other ideas of thoughts, we continue to theorize and ask why. In Europe, Aristotle provides the basis from which a lot of our thought and framework comes, and he had a strong attitude towards causality. He said that to understand something, you needed to know why it was there. There's obviously way more in Aristotle than that, and I'm not going to try and pretend to be a philosopher at this point. But you had this idea, and it's framed all of Western thought, to say, why is something true rather a linear? This is here because of that direct relationships. In Asian cultures, you find a less linear approach and a more relationship-based approach. And so that they also are trying to say why something's true, but it would tend to be more complex and fit within a multitude of relationships. But both of them are approaches to saying, why is something true? To satisfy our desire for theory. And the problem that comes up is when we don't have an internal fact checker for the theory. Some theories are quite easily fact checked. Have a theory that's where food is going to be and you either find it or you don't, or this is how to be safe from the predator and he gets you or he doesn't. Those ones you know. But on other ones, why does it rain today? (laughs) We don't have an internal fact checker to say whether or not our pattern is correct.
0: If we don't have one, can we train ourselves to develop an internal fact checker? Are we destined to believe what we want versus what's really there? I mean, I go back to your DNA evidence example where someone feels like what they saw is what they saw, no matter what the facts say?
1: Well, an internal fact checker, no. What we have done is evolve an external fact checker through the scientific method. That's really what it is. You can create an internally consistent model for why something happens. We developed ideas about magic and witchcraft in Europe that were internally consistent explanations for why certain things happen. We also developed the model of physics for explaining, you know, Newton's working on an alternate method of saying why something shows up where it does. And the scientific method evolved in Europe as a way to figure out which one of these models was correct. And it turned out that physics did a better job than the magic theories for explaining why something was there. So we've developed an approach to get objective truth and doing that is what training as a scientist is. It requires keeping your mind in a place of uncertainty. You have to be willing to give up a model that doesn't match the data. We don't like that. We don't like being wrong. You can sort of say that researchers tend to be the people who are more comfortable or less uncomfortable with being in that place of not knowing what's true for a long period of time. Some people actually aren't even ever able to do it.
0: It appears to me that this drive for patterns leads people to find patterns. When they're not even there. I mean, we've talked about that before. This can't be good in the long term, though. I mean, connecting it to disasters and earthquakes, it's why we have such fear and confusion about them and why people desperately want to believe the latest false prediction.
1: This has always been the human response to randomness that's dangerous. And that's sort of what natural disasters are. The timing is random. The consequences are really big. We have a very hard time living with uncertainty about that. The consequences are just too large. So again, both in European and Asian cultures, we had approaches to try and explain it. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, there's a very strong tradition that natural disasters happen because God is angry. That gives you a cause, it answers why, and it gives you an action to take to make yourself safe. Stop sinning. Stop whatever the action was that caused God to punish the people who receive the natural disasters. This theory has problems because when an earthquake wipes out of town, it's killing infants, people who didn't have time to sin yet. And there's a bunch of Western thought trying to talk about how that can be reconciled. If you look at what happens in the Asian cultures, they came up with a similar but different idea of why natural disasters happen. And theirs was relationship-based. And that disasters happened because the balance, the yin yang balance in the world had been upset by actions of the government. And so that the emperor ended up as the interface between heaven and earth, became responsible for causing natural disasters. And there were even treatises laying out what an emperor needed to do to rectify the situation when an earthquake or a hurricane had come and destroyed a city. Both of these theories are internally consistent without that internal fact checker. And how do you say that these are true or not? When it's about an earthquake, if you repent of your sins and the aftershocks end up stopping, you might actually think that you've come up with an approach that was successful in doing this.
0: We created these approaches to explain the randomness, but the randomness hasn't gone away. As humans, when did we start making that transition from these sort of God-based approaches to something more similar to what we're experiencing now?
1: Well, of course, some people haven't given up the God approaches, but when you hear it, remember that this is a very long-standing tradition in human society and have some sympathy for them. In Europe, a big transition happened with the Lisbon earthquake of 1755. You saw a lot of the traditional response to that earthquake. Even the leaders in the Netherlands refused to send aid to Portugal after that earthquake, saying God had decreed that the people of Portugal needed to suffer and it was not their place to undermine what God had decreed. However, this is happening during the time of the Great Enlightenment, and a lot of people raised a lot of questions about it, and it really started the process of seismology and looking at the physical causes of earthquakes. So we've developed those ideas over time, but you know, as scientists, we're still trying to say why. We've still been trying for prediction. We see this random distribution, and we're still trying to make sure that it's really random, and we keep on in that direction. We don't like randomness because it leaves us in a place of uncertainty. And we've developed statistics to work with random distributions to be able to recognize and work with what we do know during these times of randomness and uncertainty.
0: We'll stop here for now, and then next time, we'll apply that randomness and its impacts on our world with regard to the pandemic. So until then, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you, Getting Through It. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.